Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of What's Your Story. I am your host Joelle Gibson and I'm thrilled for you to listen to my guest today. My guest today is a Canadian singer-songwriter, musician, who you have probably heard her music before on various shows, One Tree Hill, Grey's Anatomy, Emily in Paris. Um, If you've ever watched the movie 500 Days of Summer and you love that soundtrack like I do, you will have heard her cover of the Pixies' Here Comes Your Man. Um, It's Megan Smith. And I love chatting with Megan because, I don't know, I'm just so attracted to artists and the mind of an artist. And I love hearing her talk about how she got started in music and... um, how she really honed in on this passion she had and overcame, you know, crippling stage fright and, um, you know, learned how to play instruments without knowing how to read music due to um, what was for a long time an undiagnosed learning disability, which was dyslexia. Um, She's just so incredible. And I loved hearing her story. And she has such a cute... (laughs) story about she met her husband and I'm honestly considering writing a screenplay even though I've never done that in my life but it's just so cute and it would make an awesome rom-com and I'm sure it would have a killer soundtrack I just know it would she and her husband um or her husband because he's a member of her band have created this incredible service where they personalize songs based on whatever story in your life that you wanted, you know, memorized, oh goodness, Joelle, that you wanted, um, you know, to be forever remembered in song form. And uh, we talk a lot about that. So be sure to listen for that. But you can go ahead and keep listening and you'll hear her story or you can check her out um, on Spotify, Meek and Smith, and um, check out the link in this... um, bio for her episode to check out ourmusic.com where you can read more about how to contact her um, so she can write a song for you, a personalized song for you. That's like every girl's dream and guys too, you know, she shares a really beautiful story about um, one of her favorite songs that she's um, gotten to write for someone Um, and pregnant me. (laughs) It's really emotional. It's emotional listening listening to it in person, but even listening to it back as I as I was editing, it was so beautiful. Um, I'm so grateful to her for coming on and sharing so many personal details about our life, and for you know giving me some of her time. And um, I'm just so grateful to anyone who listens and who joins me on this podcast. So here it is, episode. 18. What's your story, Megan? Um, I was three years old, and I remember it was in my parents' really old house. Um, So I I know I was three because we moved out of that house before I turned, or after I turned three. So yeah, anyways, I fact-checked it. So um, (laughs) three years old and I was having a nap on my parents' bed on this beautiful, warm summer afternoon. And in that house, they had a really big window in their bedroom that looked out onto this really huge 
tree, like the, the leaves of the tree took up the whole window. And I just remember hearing there's, there was like a breeze in the air. And I remember the sound of the leaves rustling and the tree was like whispering my name. And it, it was just saying like, like that really calm and soothing. And like, it sounds creepy, but I wasn't creeped out at all. I was just totally relaxed. And like, it was just a beautiful sound and, and uh, a, a sunny, warm, totally like almost spiritual memory that I have. And then this other memory I have is the same house of me lying in my bed, which was off a hallway right next to a set of stairs, which was right next to our piano. And I remember my mom and my dad singing and playing music after we had gone to bed. And um, they, were, they were playing this song. Uh, I don't know if it's called this, I Love You Just The Way You Are. I can't remember the actual title of the song though. I feel like that's not the title, but my mom, yeah, my mom was playing it. And my dad who has one of the most beautiful voices in the world to me was singing it. And, you know, it has these beautiful lyrics. Um, I I just, and I just remember crying like as a three-year-old being so touched by their playing and singing that song together how beautiful it was that my dad was singing to my mom like don't go changing something something and then like the how the chorus is like I love you just the way you are I remember just being like I don't know how I was so affected as a three-year-old but just like brought to tears by how beautiful it was hearing that last story again um it made me I can I know why you were crying while even as a three-year-old because like that was a private moment with them you know mm-hmm. you had all gone to bed that was a private moment that they were sharing together and it was them expressing their love towards one another and that's a really beautiful thing that's so special and yeah. I'm sure. Have you shared that with them? Did you share that memory with them? I don't think so. I should. That's a great point, Joelle. I'm going to share that with them. You know, though, it, there's something though about the fact that it was in the form of a song, because I yeah. think I could have heard my dad saying to my mom, you know, honey, I love you just the way you are. Don't go changing. And yeah. And I would have been like, I probably would have thought like, oh, that's so nice. But something about like, the chord structure there's like these like minor or like diminished chords or something I don't know what they are but like and the way my dad's voice sang them and this it was so like mellow and sweet like a like a soft full moon or something like I I just there's something about music it changes the way words sound it changes the meaning of things when you have it in a melody absolutely and that was probably and the fact that that's one of your first like core memories. Yeah. I'm like quoting inside out. I don't know. Totally. That, that movie's movie. so good. Yeah. I'm obsessed. Um, like that's a core memory for you, mm-hmm. you know, and hearing, the tree too. and the tree, you know, hearing your name through the music of the, of nature. The wind. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, what? Like, 
-hmm. it is it's totally sonically related and you know like when I I had a undiagnosed learning disability all through school um it's it's like it's funny like I'm just putting this together through talking to you but like I had to become very clever with my learning disability. I had to, I had to figure out what the teacher was trying to teach the students and see how they were learning it and then try and figure out how I learn things and then teach it to myself. But the way I learn things is auditory. Mm -hmm. So I would need to say things out loud or like tap a rhythm or hear something. If I, if I just look at a number, I get the number confused. But if I say it out loud and I can hear myself saying it, or if somebody reads it out to me, I can remember it forever. So like, I just, I can't believe I didn't put that together till just now, but yeah, like that's how I figured out how to deal with my, my dyslexia and learning disability all through school is like, I would need to read out loud or like, you know, have things I could, if I heard things I could, remember them same with music if I you know my mom is a piano teacher my dad is musical all my sisters play music and read music but I could never learn how to read and it would be so frustrating because my mom here she is this theory music teacher trying to teach me and I can't I can't learn I, she was like beside herself like trying to teach me and I just could never learn and it wasn't until the end of university or sorry college when I realized I got diagnosed with dyslexia and I realized oh yeah like when I look at a sheet of music it just looks like a mess like it's spaghetti and meatballs (laughs) oh yeah um and once you were diagnosed were you able to look back and sort of be like, oh, yeah. that's why. So many things made sense. So many things made sense. It was like getting the diagnosis of anxiety too. Yeah. It was like, right, I'm not crazy. I just, you know, I have, I have yeah. anxiety and there's ways I can manage that. And there's ways I can manage my learning disabilities and my dyslexia. And actually I did manage them. I just had to figure out myself on my own how to do that and it took a really long time and I got a lot of pity passes from a lot of teachers through the years but you know I I picked up a lot of things like how to teach myself and how to learn new things and what it feels like to be on the outside what it feels like to not understand things what it feels like to feel stupid and like less than and unworthy and just yeah, I learned all of those things um, from those experiences. And that just makes me a better songwriter. Yeah. That absolutely. makes me have more empathy for people. Yeah, it gives you more tools in your tool belt, you know? That's you right. Relate to someone else because maybe, and it, it doesn't always have to be like the exact same situation, you know? I think that's where empathy can come in is like, well, I've felt like this before, you know, it's sort of similar. So maybe I can use my experience to help shape yeah exactly like that's what I'm that's what I'm doing like basically my my superpower empathy is my superpower and and I've you know I find people who are very good at being empathetic have had to be empathetic to survive so if you're I had to empathize with all of the teachers who looked down on me so that I could understand like why 
they were so frustrated so that I could then figure out what the problem was with me so that I could then figure out how to teach myself what I needed to know. So empathy was like, I needed it to survive and get through my life basically. And not just teachers, but like other, you know, other adults and people in my life. And so I, I, I just think like everyone having empathy for each other would just solve all the world's problems and is also <laughs> one of the most important tools I have in in what I do which is I just yeah. yeah I dig up I figure out what they're feeling and what they need to feel and I dig up my own feelings and feel them while I write what I think you know they need to hear and what what they wish I would say or what they wish their song would say so yeah empathy is key it's so beautiful I love what you're doing and, Thank you. you know, I didn't really know you before at all, but what I've learned from you tonight, I just think that you're incredibly inspiring and hardworking and the amount of effort that you've put into your life, you know, like you're able to talk about these things that are so traumatic and, and you push through, you know? You're here today, both you and your husband lost your careers. Well, not careers, because you're still going, but like for a time. No, it was, it was pretty much our careers, you know? Yeah. Like we had to rebuild. It's like, yeah, no, we had to completely rebuild from the ground up. And I thank you so much for saying that, you know, I have been through a lot and I am so grateful that I have, and I have an amazing family. I have an amazing I have three amazing sisters who helped me through everything. I have the best husband in the world. He's my husband, but he's also <laughs> a man. Get it? So yeah. Um, and it. my kids are incredible. I have great friends. My parents are wonderful. So I, I got through things, but it's not just, I'm not like some like unicorn of amazingness. I, I'm lucky and, and grateful for all the wonderful people in my life. You're not a unicorn, but you're a shiny horse. <laughs> what were like some of the early songs that you would learn on guitar? Please say Alanis. Alanis Morissette? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Morissette, Tori Amos, Sarah McLaughlin, Bjork. I loved a lot of female singer songwriters. Um, like I said, Jane Sibri. There was a. There's also this other band called The Story, and I loved their music. I, they had some really complicated guitar pieces, and I would practice for hours and hours trying to learn this finger picking. Mm. Yeah, so it, it was really good exercise for you know all of that. All of those years of ear training basically is what it was. It was ear training. Yeah. And uh, I, I was able to use that um, later on in, in my years as a musician. I have worked with lots of producers and I've been able to, like, my ear is really, really good from all of that practice I had. I've been able to say, like, that bass drum is out of tune with the song. Can you, and then they're, wow. you know, they're like, what I can't believe you can hear that note and I, <laughs> it's because I had to learn to hear everything uh, yeah. before I could read it without reading it so yeah that's awesome 
it's also really it's also a big challenge though like when you're working with other musicians which I I have had to do in the past it's really difficult to communicate my ideas um and I can't you know I have to hire people or ask people to help me with the charts and with writing things out now luckily I'm married to a really talented guitar player who can read music and so he just I just say stuff to him in my like cryptic language like I'll say okay here's the here's the chord progression I have and here's the melody but it's a little too pointy can you help me like round it out and then like chart it out and send it to the fiddle player and he's like yeah okay so we definitely have our own like language about things but um yeah I I really have had to kind of compensate in different ways because of my dyslexia so that's perfect that you guys work together then it is very perfect (laughs) yeah how did you two meet I want to know the story well I'll tell you we met on the bus we met on the city bus (laughs) stop it that's literally a romantic comedy what happened did he drop something and you went to help him pick it up and your hands touched (laughs) no well we both lived in the same area of Halifax and took the same bus downtown to work and he would get on before me so I always got on after him but we kind of you know he was really cute and so I kind of check him out and then every time I'd look over he'd be like staring at me and um we sort of just checked each other out for like three months and I come home and I tell my roommates I'd be like I saw bus boy again today he's so cute (laughs) and they would say Megan don't go out with someone you met on the bus do you know what kind of people ride the bus and I was like um I ride the bus yeah (laughs) so lots of great people ride the bus anyway um this is actually a crazy story so it it was like three months of us you know checking out each other but not saying hello and then finally one day I was just like that's it I'm gonna talk to him and I had seen him get on the bus with a with a guitar so I said this is it I'm gonna take the chance and just whatever. So we were, I kind of timed it. So I was stepping off the bus around the same time he was getting off. And I said to him, uh, I saw you with the guitar the other day. That's really cool that you play. I play too. And he didn't really say anything. He was like shocked that I was speaking to him. And then I said, you know, maybe like, do you ever do open mics? Maybe we should do an open mic together. And he just turned bright red, like the reddest red I've ever seen. And I was like, oh, okay, he's not a serial killer. He's just really shy. That's great. So, so we uh, exchanged numbers and decided to meet up at some open mics. And uh, my roommates came, like, you know, I have friends and his friends came and we all just started hanging out at open mics. It was really fun. Wow. Yeah. Did he speak to you? He did speak to me eventually. <laughs> yeah. He's That's still adorable. pretty quiet though. He, he definitely yeah. doesn't talk as much as me. Yeah. Oh, that's my marriage too. Mm -hmm. We often joke, like, I bet people wonder, like, how, why are they married to each other? (laughs) Because I'm very, I'm actually an extroverted introvert. Mm -hmm. So like, I can socialize, I can do the small talk. I obviously like talking to people, but Mm -hmm. I need alone time. I need downtime. I can't do like day after day after day, like socializing. Yeah. Um, 
but my husband's like I don't want to go if there's people there (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's awesome it's artists though right yeah yeah I just about like writing a movie script like two musicians that meet on the bus and fall in love. Like, have you ever seen the movie Once? Yeah. Well, no, I haven't seen it. No, I've never seen Aww. it. Let's see it. It's but beautiful. He, yeah. So he had um, he'd been playing guitar for a really long time, and and he was working as a computer programmer at the time, and I was working actually as an animator. Um, at an animation studio did I yeah I went to school for animation I didn't actually ever study music so it's wild so this it was just always like a passion of yours like something you you just did like playing music yeah um I had really really horrible stage fright like like crippling stage fright so I remember my mom and dad like volunteered us to sing at a general conference no not general conference sorry state conference and like a a big church meeting and I remember getting up and I hadn't had any issues with it before but it was something about being 12 years old I don't know what happened but it just Mm -hmm. was the beginning of the end and I I remember standing up there and trying to sing and feeling like every single part of my body shaking including my face so like (laughs) I don't know if you've ever tried to sing while your face is shaking but it's really hard to do (laughs) it's really hard so uh yeah from about age 12 all the way through like high school and and college I I played by myself I, I played like in my bedroom quietly so no one could hear me and then when I got to college I brought obviously I brought my guitar and was, I was writing a lot of songs and I wrote a song for my sister Kaylee and she was really encouraging and and then my roommate heard me singing like the song in my bedroom and she was like you should like play this in front of people so then I started playing in the stairwell of my dorm nice. because the acoustics were really super great yeah. And if I went there late enough, there wasn't anybody around, but then people started hearing me and coming around and they, you know, they would just be really kind about it. And I always thought like, they're just being nice. I'm not really that good. Actually, they probably feel sorry for me. And that's why they're saying I sound really good. I don't really sound that good. Um, but then I had a, uh, like a professor. So part of animating is recording sound so that you can sync it up to your drawings right so um one of the engineers who worked in the recording studio of the animation department had heard me sing in the stairwell and he was like you should really record these songs you're writing and that's how I started my music career I recorded a demo in my animation class that I then uh like sent to some festivals and they I got gigs at festivals and then I got some grants and then I just started recording and making my own music is that bonkers that's so bonkers but I love it because it's so perfect like you had to go to school for animation because to get into you know everything had to fall in place so you you went from using your schooling in animation to record this demo you played festivals you didn't have any challenges with stage fright at this point 
Oh, a hundred percent. I absolutely did. It was awful. It was horrifying. Um, I, I would just try to get up and do my best. Uh, it was really bad. And then I actually, I moved to Halifax. I got a job offer in Halifax. So I moved from London to Halifax and, you know, being in a new city, not knowing anybody except like four people I went to college with, I was like, all right, I'm going to start playing open mics here and I'm going to get over my stage fright. If it, if it's really bad, I can just move back to Ontario. If I do like a, if I make a complete fool of myself, I'm just going to move back to Ontario. It's fine. So I started playing open mics in Halifax and um, it took me four years to get from the point where I would just be like a trembling disaster to being able to sing on stage the way I sounded when I was by myself. And like, I was just amazed that people would clap for me after I would finish singing. I would be like, you know, in my head, like beating myself up, like, you know, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? This is ridiculous. You're so terrible. They feel bad for you. Now they're just clapping because they like, don't want you to, you know, go do something you would regret later or something. So I had these like mental huge battles with myself whenever I would play on stage, but I really, really wanted to sing in front of people the way I sang by myself. It really mattered to me that somebody else could hear me the way I could sing and play when I was alone. And so I eventually got to that point. I still battled with those uh, with those demons, though, and those voices in my head. Um, and that was something that was that was ongoing through my whole career as a musician. So, um, yeah, but I. I played open mics. I had a really great time at these open mics. And eventually, uh, you know, I, I got to this point where I was working in the day uh, at my animation job doing storyboarding and it was fine. Like I was getting paid to draw eight hours a day. It's great. Um, but ultimately I was drawing somebody else's vision always. I was getting a script and somebody else was saying, these are my ideas you you make them real because I can't draw and it was mm -hmm. really artistically unfulfilling so I kind of said to myself all right listen you can I'm going to give you this chance I'm going to let you go for this I'm going to give you like maybe three years you can spend three years trying really hard at this if it works out amazing if it doesn't you can die knowing that you gave your dream a shot and it just wasn't meant to be. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'm good with that. So sitting at my animation desk that one day, I was like, okay, we're gonna do this. By this point I had married my dream guitar player and I came home and said to him, like, what do you think about me taking all of our savings and making an album? And he was just like, go for it. So I wrote exactly nine songs and I hired a producer, a producer named Les Cooper. He had worked on my friend uh, Jill Barber's album and I loved her album. And um, I kind of moved to Toronto for two months and 
Les and I made the album while Jason stayed in Halifax and worked. Usually when you make an album, you might write like, like a, you know, a, a more established artist who knows what they're doing would probably write 30 to 50 songs. And then from those 30 to 50, they would choose the best, like 10 or 11 or 12 to put on their album. I wrote nine songs and was like, I'm recording these nine songs. So um, it was incredible. It was so hard. Uh, I wanted to spend every single cent I had on music. So I bunked on, I couch surfed and I took the subway everywhere and I ate like, you know, I ate like apples and peanuts for like two months. (laughs) And um, we would work at night. Like, so a lot of recording time was a lot cheaper at night. So we'd have to try and find studio space at night where people would were charging like half as much for the engineer in the space. And I, I did not hold anything back. Les was like, I think the song should have a xylophone. And I was like, let's do it. Let's get a xylophone player. Let's get a horn section. Let's get a, let's get a harpist. Let's get whatever it takes, like the best musicians, anything you can imagine. And he, Les wrote these incredible string parts for the songs. And we got like cellos and violins. It was like the best. It was just incredible. It was totally magical. I was absolutely exhausted and I spent all of our money making my album and uh yeah and then I went home and my album was done it was called the crickets orchestra and I just could not have been prouder of it I love that name yeah where did the name come from it's actually a line in one of my songs um and it's funny like this time of year here, you probably have the same thing there, but this time of year, the crickets just chirp all day and all night. Yeah. They're going right now. (laughs) Yeah. And they, it's so beautiful. I love the sound of them. Uh, So when I wrote the song, five more minutes, it had, it was this time of year and I had written that line and I thought, you know, I'm like this tiny little cricket uh, and I've, I've like created this or- orchestra. I've created this orchestral experience with this music. So it's kind of the perfect title for, for my album. What yeah. were kind of your hopes? Like, did you feel like I want to be like a huge star in the music industry? I want to go on tour. I want to do whatever. Or was it just like, this is inside of me. I want to get it out. I want to do this. And sort of like a sigh of relief once you finished. That's exactly what it was. I just needed to do it. I, I, and I feel like, again, like a lesson I learned from dyslexia is how to fail. I learned how to fail over and over and over. And so I had already come to the conclusion that it didn't really matter what happened. What mattered was what I put into it and what I got out of it was going to be what I put into it. So I, I put everything I had into it. And when it was finished, I didn't care what happened. I was just so happy with this beautiful experience I had and this music I had created. And it was, it was almost like um, I kept picturing myself at the end of my life being able to say, I don't 
I don't have any regrets. I didn't miss out on something I really wanted to do. So, and I had achieved that. I love that album. I still do. It's, it's definitely not perfect. And, you know, I can hear it and I can hear mistakes and I wish I had done things better, but it's like, I think that's how every artist is. And it's just more about, I know I put everything I had into it. And Jason also sacrificed a lot so that I could do that. Um, and it, I, I love that record and I, I'll go to my grave loving that record. It was, it was an amazing experience. I just gave it out to people around Halifax. I was trying to get a manager. Nobody could manage me. They liked the album. They thought it was cool, but they didn't really know if it would go anywhere. Cause like, what, what do you class it? Is it pop? Is it like, what is it? What, what box do you put it in? So they didn't really know. And the Halifax film festival was happening. So I, pa- I went to the Halifax Film Festival and passed it out to film and TV supervisors who had come to the festival and uh, just thought nothing of it. Like, please listen to this. I just made this record and I, I, I'm happy with it. I hope you like it. And um, not too long after the Halifax Film Festival, I started getting some very, very shocking emails from famous people like... Um, <sighs> Coldplay's manager was interested in talking to me and Sarah McLaughlin wanted to know what I was up to and all these like uh, Joni Mitchell's ex-husband was like your album is great and I was like how what is happening right now so these people that these really fantastic film and tv supervisors had taken my album back with them to LA and had started passing it around and creating this crazy buzz so I had to go to LA and play a showcase and I had like three different major labels interested in me and still no managers. I had to hurry up and get a manager and sign a giant record deal. That's just unheard of. It was like this amazing whirlwind of like surrealism. It was crazy when it was happening. Jason, I couldn't believe it. He quit his job as a computer program. I hired him to be my, my guitarist. And we hit the road for 10 years, we toured. Um, For 10 years, we were traveling, we traveled all over Canada and the US, we went to the UK uh, and had had a really, in a lot of ways, it was a really great time. And in a lot of ways, it was brutal for me because my stage fright, while I could control my nerves and I could perform, I still had these constant thoughts of, you know, you're terrible. You should get off the stage. You're going to miss that note. You're going to screw up the next song. Remember this part is tricky. And then of course I was distracted in my head and I forget the lyrics. And then I proved my own theory that I was, you know, not a real musician and didn't deserve to be on any stage and all the rest of it. So uh, I would come off stage from almost every night, like, in tears and Jason would have to like talk me down and be like it was great and then of course if I sold a lot of albums I would be like they just I was so bad they felt so sorry for me and he's like do you think people buy albums because (laughs) they feel sorry for musicians like they people don't people aren't like that like they're not like they're not nice like that so that's true (laughs) but it was this constant like basically for 10 years um and now talk talking about like you know having undiagnosed issues I 
have been diagnosed with anxiety. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> right? Been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is what it was all along. It was anxiety. Yeah. And which, you know, it has a real, it ha- it, there are ways to deal with that. And, and I wish I had known about them, but I didn't know about them. So we really, I struggled on tour. Jason had the time of his life, you know, like being on tour is really fun when, especially when you're with a band and a tour bus and you're seeing all sorts of cities and it's, it can be really super fun. But for me, it was like totally, totally a, a head game the whole time. Um, and so we made a second record. The label had had signed us for seven albums. So we were like in it. And so we worked on our second record. We released that and we were on tour when I started to feel really, really sick. Um, and we were actually doing a promotional tour for our second album. So we weren't even like performing it yet. We were just playing to like um, industry people. So we were doing a tour t- for industry people. So. I thought I had the flu. Um, so I get on stage and this magical thing happens when you get on stage sometimes. Like I could have a really, really terrible headache and then go on stage and my headache would be completely gone. And then as soon as I get off stage, it's back. Yeah. Well, it sort of happened with this like nausea that I was constantly feeling. I would go on stage and I would perform, but as soon as I'd step off stage, I would throw up. And so I was like, well, this flu is like lasting a really long time, but also my anxiety is just getting worse and worse. Right. Um, until one night, uh, close to the end of our tour, I got off stage and started throwing up and couldn't stop throwing up. So it was, I had, I, I had been throwing up, I think for six hours when Jason called the hospital and was like, we, um, my wife is really, really sick. I don't know what's wrong. Maybe it's food poisoning. So we go to the hospital and they're like is there any chance you're pregnant and I said no we've been married for over 10 years never happened I I think I'm barren and they said okay well let's check and see and um there was somebody in me making me really really (laughs) sick I unfortunately had a hyperemesis pregnancy, which means I I couldn't function. I I threw up and had nausea every single day for the entire nine and a half months I was pregnant. So it's not just like nausea, nausea, nausea and throwing up like a normal pregnancy. Mm -hmm. I did air quotes, everyone, but it's like severe it's uh, yeah it's severe I had to be hospitalized quite a few times I had to have um iron infusions and like IVs and things so yeah it's not normal and it was excruciating like if you can imagine having the flu for nine months nine and a half months it was just the constant nausea the constant vomiting I got really good at throwing up like there's a way to throw up so that you don't um pull all your ab muscles so I got really good at that and I set up like a throw-up station by my toilet where I would have like I put a vase of flowers and like some magazines and I would just go throw up like every couple hours and like read read an article (laughs) so I mean you know I'm joking about it but it it was so it 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 was 
one of the worst times, you know, I, 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 I can't say, I, I really feel for people who have chronic illness. It's, it's, it's unbelievably difficult to survive through that. Um, but so I'm like looking forward to the end of this pregnancy, like nobody's business and I had my son and, um, the delivery was worse than the pregnancy. It was, it was very traumatic. There were, um, some serious complications, not for my son, luckily, but for me. And I was told by a doctor that I, you know, I, I had to stay home for eight months after, after my, uh, my delivery, it took, it took me eight months to heal from my delivery. So at this point I'm talking, I'm looking at my label and I'm going like, guys, I'm so sorry. I can't walk. I had a walker after I had my son. Like most people don't come out of the hospital with a walker. I, I needed a walker for like three months after he was born. And I was like, I I can't go on stage with a walker and like like my IV. So I mean, you could, I mean, I guess, but I'm not sure that would match with my sequin dress. But anyway, um, so they were like, listen, Megan, your album is now two years old. We cannot support this. Like we're, we put a lot of money into this and you, you not like a way, this is how labels may make a lot of their money back is through your touring and your merch and um, all the promotion that the artist does. And so they, they said, I'm sorry, we, you know, we have to let you out of your contract. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Um, They're not, they're not this big, bad label. I love them. They were amazing to work with. And in this weird way, I was like, okay, I don't have to get back up on stage. I never have to get back up there into that. It felt like a boxing ring to me. The stage felt like a boxing ring where I would go and fight myself mentally for the entirety of my set and then come off and, you know, have to come down from that battle. So in a way, I was relieved and I had this baby who... I was absolutely flooded with hormones of love for him and also just love because he's awesome and I love him. He's amazing. But I was like so high from having him. It was, it was amazing. I, I was so happy to have him. So, but me losing my job meant my husband lost his job. So we both lost our job and I was really injured and had this newborn baby. All right. I'm a mom. I'm never having another baby. I cannot do that again. So I know that that's done. What are we going to do? What, what are we doing now? And I thought I need a job. I want to do music, but I want to stay home. I do not want to tour ever again. If I don't want to, I don't ever want to get up on a stage if I don't want to. And I want Jason to work and I want us to make enough money to have a good life. And I want to call all the shots. I want to own my own music. I want to make what kind of music I want. I don't want like a, a label involved. So what is that job? And so I'm like trying to think of that. And at the same time, I was trying to write songs, but I just, I had nothing. Like, I think probably I was really, really tired. I was nursing all night, you know, and I, I just was like, I don't really want to be in my life right now. Like I love my life and I love my kids, but it's like, I need a break from my life. And then I just had this epiphany, this amazing idea. Why am I not writing songs for everybody else? 
Like, why can't Mm. I just go into someone else's life and do for them what I do for myself, which is work something out through writing a song. And why can't I give them this beautiful song at the end of it that they can, it's theirs. I wrote it for, I did for them what I do for me, but I'm going to keep the rights to their songs. And then maybe I can do something with their song. Like I could release it and share it with other people. And, and then I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that right now. So (laughs) my husband and I built a website and I put a call to action on Facebook and started getting responses. And that's how I started our song. That's beautiful. Yeah. What has that been like since you started? How long ago did you start this? So Lyndon's turning five in November. So almost five years. Wow. Yeah. It's been incredible. It's been, it's been amazing. It's such an honor to go into somebody else's life the way I do. It's a lot like what you do. I go in and I ask all sorts of questions. Um, so here's, do you want to know my process? Yes, I do. I was just about okay. to <laughs> tell you my process. So people, uh, people will message me and say, um, you know, here's my story or whatever. Like a lot of times people get songs written for weddings or anniversaries or the birth of a new baby or, you know, celebratory events, birthdays and things, but also the loss of a loved one, or, you know, if somebody's struggling with, um, you know, having been through something really difficult, they, they'll reach out to me. So I just started hearing all these people's stories and having the chance to be like, okay, yes, I can write your song. Like, let's, let's talk about it. So I emailed them a bunch of questions saying like, let's say I'm writing a a song for a couple who's celebrating their anniversary. Um, I would ask them about how they met and what their life was like before they met. And then what do they love about each other and first impressions and all these, like, I just ask them everything and they answer. And then I take those answers and I write a song for them. Wow. Do you it's ever get super like, nervous though? Like, are you, Oh, every time I was going to say like your anxiety, is it like, they're not going to like this. They're going to think it's stupid. Like they don't want me to add this detail in like, yeah, well, <sighs> Have you ever had someone say, no, I don't like this? Yes, I have. It's <gasps> happened. It's happened twice. Um, it's wait now it's only happened. No, it, it has happened twice where they've said, this isn't saying what I want it to say. And then I just start over. Okay. I've misunderstood them somehow. So I need more clarifying answers. I need something and, and, you know, and then I write another song and then they're like yeah this is it but I will I will write and write and write until I get it perfect for somebody because that's what matters is that I'm I'm giving them this gift that they can't it's like I can't make my own shoes I need somebody else to make the shoes for me and this is what I'm doing for people they can't write their own songs they don't know how to do it so if it doesn't fit I will make it I will rewrite and rewrite I've rewritten some songs like it's taken me like the longest song I ever worked on. It took me eight months, but I just kept working and working and working until I had it right. And I can tell, like I've written songs for people and then said, no, this isn't it. I have to start over. And those two times that the people were like, this isn't what I was imagining. I knew it wasn't right. Okay. So, but I just was like, I don't want them to think I'm not working on it or whatever. So I'll just send them what I have. And then I send them what I have. And they're like, yeah, this isn't right yet. So 
yeah but it's it's definitely like a mystical thing that happens when you write a song yeah so cool do you have a song that um you've written for someone that this is what I was going to ask you because like people ask oh what's been your favorite episode so far that you've done yeah like I literally cannot choose one because every single person who has agreed to come on and share their story is my favorite you know Mm -hmm. but that said (laughs) yeah the one that I did with my sister I think Mm -hmm. is my favorite because it's so personal you know and I just I loved her journey to sobriety and Mm -hmm. so and it, it has the personal effect for me what can you pick a song that you've written for someone that just like not your favorite but yeah I definitely that you have. always remember or do yeah. you have a favorite <laughs> I don't have a favorite no it's the same they're all my favorites but there's one song in particular that the the process was just so memorable so it was for a widower who lost his wife to ALS after being married to her for 50 years and he was his he was her sole caregiver and like when she passed away, he was the one who did everything for her until she died. And he was just so heartbroken over the loss of his, his wife that he asked me to write a song for her. So he, his name is Dave Loomer. He and I are actually really good friends. We, we hang out now. Uh, he comes over and sees the kids and he's kind of like an extra granddad. Um, but yeah, he he asked me to write this song and I started writing it for his wife and wrote it from his perspective to his wife, Bonnie. And I was like, this is not it at all. This is, I have to start over. So I started over this time. I wrote it from a third person telling their love story. So I finished that version and I was like, this is not it either. None, none of these are it. So I, I wrote it like three more times from different angles, different perspectives, trying to figure out like what, what was the correct story to tell, the correct language to use? So I just struggled and struggled and struggled with the song. This is the song that took eight months. So I was doing dishes at my kitchen sink one day and thinking about this poor Dave guy who was waiting and waiting on the song. What was I doing wrong? Like what on earth? I just said like universe, can you please like what? how what is what do I need to do to make the song for this poor guy and I heard a voice not an actual voice but like a voice in my head very distinctly say it was never for me it's for Dave and I'm like Bonnie is that you (laughs) I was like Bonnie oh my gosh so I thought okay yeah it's not it's not for Bonnie it's for Dave So then I wrote, it took me a half hour. I wrote this song called Hole. And it says, there's a hole in me in the shape of you. And it doesn't matter what I do. I will always be one half of two. There's a hole in me in the shape of you. And I wrote this song and I was like, this isn't what he asked for at all. This is, I'm either going to really piss him off because he's been waiting for eight months <laughs> or he's gonna love I don't know I don't know what's gonna happen but this is what he needs so I sent it to him and I I said you know Dave 
you're not supposed to feel a certain way. You're not supposed to think a certain thing. It is what it is. It's okay to not be okay. And I hope this song helps you. Well, he came over in tears and just said, nobody said this to me. Uh, nobody told me that it was okay for me to feel this way. And I feel like this has changed my life. And then I got a message from his sister who was like, you changed Dave's life. Like he's, he's like, he's able to talk about Bonnie now in a way that he wasn't before. He's, he's processing his grief. Like he's dealing with things. And then I got messages from his daughters and that's one of the first times where I was like, okay, yeah, right. This is why, this is why people write songs for themselves. And this is why this is really important for other people. Every single human has albums worth of material in their life. It's amazing how many people say to me, my life isn't that interesting or our love story isn't that unique or, and I'm just like, it absolutely is. Every single one is so interesting, you know, because you talk to people on this podcast. It's endlessly amazing and interesting that the way people live and I love knowing about it. I love finding out about it. You know, it was like the perfect cure for me when I was a new mom with two little kids and lost everything except my husband and my child and my other child, which is what matters most, but I'd lost everything else. You know, I really, I felt myself sliding into a very deep, dark place. And if I just let myself continue, it, I think, you know, it really could have developed into something I'm not sure I would have been able to get out of. So um, it's been this incredibly connective, inspiring journey to be able to write songs for people. And everybody has a song waiting for me to write it for them or somebody to write it. Just get someone to write it, but probably me, but anybody, (laughs) but I would love to write it. I would be honored, but everyone has a song waiting, just waiting for it to be written. Thank you. 